0: Welcome to Growth Mindset University. I'm your host, Jordan Paris, and this show is all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school, but did not, so that we can succeed in the progressive new age of business and life we find ourselves in today. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. When I first started this podcast, I had no clue what I was doing, and it showed. This podcast was terrible in the beginning, so much so that when people tell me today that they listen to early episodes, I cringe because it was just that bad. But along the way, of course, I figured things out and started growing as I was going. But I wish I knew these things in the beginning. I could have saved so much time, money, and just sheer embarrassment. Now, I'm solving for all of the unknown variables of podcasting for you with my brand new course, How to Become a Rockstar Podcaster. Oh, and by the way, it's completely free. In the course, I give away every single one of my secrets from marketing to building a business around your podcast and monetizing your podcast without ads. I put a ton of effort into this course over the past few months and it is extremely professional and this is something that people around me said I should be selling for 400 bucks, but I said no, I am giving this away for free. I couldn't think of something better to share with you. So for free access to my new course, How to Become a Rockstar Podcaster, you can go to jordanparis.com forward slash course that's jordanparis.com forward slash course for free access to my brand new course how to become a rockstar podcaster i look forward to seeing you in the course let's build a business around your podcast i am extremely grateful that you are here with me today on growth mindset university just want to let you know that two times per week we have interviews with the best of the best. New York Times bestselling authors, billionaires, the like, the most successful people in the world, people like Mark Manson, Naveen Jain, James Altucher, so many more. And I don't want you to miss these interviews. So go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, Growth Mindset University, wherever you are listening right now. One of my favorite things is when you reach out to our guests that we have on the show. So for example, if you enjoy today's guest, please reach out to them. Tell them that you enjoyed today's episode. Send them that token of gratitude. Like, look, I heard John Jordan's show and it was so good. This really impacted me. If you do this with every guest, you're going to start building a world-class network in record time. This is how I built my network. So this is just another way I'm looking to give back to you here. Just give you this little tip. So reach out to our guest today. And now without further ado, please enjoy the show. My guest today is Philip Stutz. Philip comes from the cutthroat world of political marketing. Among his victories, has over two decades of experience working on campaigns with billions of dollars in political ad spend, and contributed to over twelve hundred election victories, including hundreds of U.S. House campaigns, dozens of U.S. Senate campaigns, and even three U.S. presidential victories. Philip plays the game of political marketing on the highest level, battling it out with fierce competition, multi-billion dollar budgets, and a win-or-die mentality. In addition to being a keynote speaker for one of the country's largest privately held speakers, bureaus, Kepler Speakers, Philip has made more than 200 national TV appearances, including CBS, ESPN, Fox News, Fox Business, MSNBC, and CNN. He's also appeared on some of the world's most popular podcasts, including Gary Vaynerchuk's The Daily V, our friend, the host of The James Altucher Show, James Altucher, The Dr. Drew Podcast, Jay Abrahams, The Ultimate Entrepreneur, and Big Questions with Cal Fussman, a classic interviewer. He's so good. Philip Stutz, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, man. Honored to be here. Love your mission. Love all the work you're doing, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today.
0: Hey, thank you so much. I mean, we've already been getting along so well in the pre-roll here. Fire them now, your book. They can get it on Amazon, philipstutz.com, at philipstutz on Instagram and Twitter, uh, winbigmedia.com and gobigmediainc.com. And also, I mean, this is just, this is so obviously somebody that we want to learn from in the world of not just political marketing, because that doesn't apply to all of us, but business marketing. This is somebody to learn from. And Philip is telling me he's being so generous right now and providing like a, a, literally a free consultation and a 25-point checklist for you personally. Philip, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because you described it so much better.
1: Yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, you'll hear me out in this interview. And if it's worth your time as the listener, we, we will offer you a free uh marketing audit for your company. Uh you go to Philipstutz.com backslash audit it takes five minutes. Uh, my team will pour over your your publicly available digital footprint. We'll put together a 25 point checklist from your you know, search engine results to your email marketing, to your website, to your retargeting, everything you can think of. And at the end of it, we'll tell you what you're doing right, what you can improve, and we'll do a 30 minute free consultation call on top of that to answer any of your questions. Typically, we've seen businesses grow by 25 30 percent if they get their 25 point checklist in line. Um, but that is free free uh, for anybody that wants to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, I, I think you'd be a fool not to because I'm certainly gonna be taking you up on it. I, I mean this is just so it's out there. like take it, grab this opportunity. Philip, my first question for you, how different is political marketing from business marketing?
1: Man, that, first of all, it's a great question. No one ever asked that. They go straight into like Donald Trump or something. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going there. Um, but uh, it is the principles are the exact same. The execution is completely different. And so when I mean the principles, um, let, me, let me take that back and explain it. Um, and we're not talking about policy or what happens with guns or anything like that. I'm talking about how we run political marketing campaigns to get candidates elected. And the one thing I always do and say is that since, you know, for 23 plus years, I've been running political marketing campaigns. Uh, Now we do both political and corporate, but the principles are exactly the same. Here's how it works. If a candidate wants to run for office and they come to me and they say, Philip, you know, I want to run for office. What do I need to do? I'd say, what, is it, what are the 10 things that you're most passionate about that you want to talk about on the campaign trail? And they write them down. And then I go out in that particular state or that district and I pull the district. Now it's much more sophisticated now on the data side, but let's just say for simplicity state, we we poll the district. This isn't like CNN polls of who's up and who's down. This is like, what issues do the voters care about? It's much more scientific. And now we overlay it with consumer data and a bunch of other things. And then we can find out in that particular district, in order for that candidate to win and at a certain percentage, right? All we need is 50 plus one to win. But typically we find a range of where, where voters are most uh, passionate you know, at a certain level that will get us to the vote goal that wins on election day, we find what those, vo- what those issues are. And then we align them with what the candidate's top 10 is. So typically we find two issues, no more, maybe three, but typically two issues that the candidates are incredibly passionate about and will vote because of those issues. And we align it where the candidate matches up on those issues. And then from that point forward, that is the way we market candidates going forward is we use data and we think about the voter before we care about what the politician thinks. And that's how we win elections. Now, the if I'm to switch this over, that's how it works on for me in principle on the corporate marketing side, the first thing I do is I work with a business to understand their customer base. Uh, I am—I would tell you that my marketing agency on on the business side is—you can't work with me unless you understand the data of your customers, and I've—I got a. Uh, an exclusivity agreement with the largest data collection company in America where, in, in where we can overlay their customer base online, track everything they do, figure out what they care about, what they think about, what motivates them, a particular customer base and for a company. And then we run marketing campaigns based on what they care about not what the business wants to talk about. And that principle has been a game changer for us on the corporate marketing side. Rare is it that there is another marketing agency doing it like that. Uh, The reason I do it, Jordan, more than anything else is I must eliminate, and this is where I wrote the book, I must eliminate the risk of the business owner before I benefit as the marketer. And the rules of the game right now in marketing are completely different. Right now, the rules of the game are the marketing firm gets to make a bunch of money before they grow the bottom line of the business. And by the way, mm. more often than not, the bottom line of the business doesn't grow, but the marketer still makes money. And so, my entire philosophy is is a re- to reverse engineer it, because in politics, every contract I've ever I've ever signed in the history of my company and and all the clients I've ever had worked on over twelve hundred or, or over three thousand races every one of them has had a month to month contract including all my corporate clients i my ass is on the line every fucking week every day they can get rid of me at any moment mm-hmm. and if that's that's my business model which it is and i talk about this in the book how how businesses need to take back control from marketing agencies but if that's my business model how much how motivated am i to innovate for my client and think of their needs before my own and that's ultimately the difference between what I see in the in the corporate marketing world and the political marketing world.
0: That's so great you are really being kept honest with that month to month contract. How does somebody know if they are being screwed over or if the bargain isn't exactly fair with a marketing agency or any agency or company that they're working with? I mean, obviously, if it's all like upfront, maybe, um, or the opposite of what you said, the month to month, what are some signs?
1: So this is the thing. I spent a year and I talked to over uh, 100 CEOs from Fortune 500, to small business, And they all came back with the same frustration in the marketplace for for marketers. Um, And that frustration was that they they didn't feel the marketing agency uh, put their needs first, that they felt that uh, they paid a bunch of money, they didn't see a bunch of results. And the marketing firm locked them into a three, six, 12, sometimes an 18 month contract.
0: <laughs> mm. And
1: when things went south, they still had to pay the marketing firm. And I just went, this is so wrong. This would never happen in my business. And so I, and then the other part is the data part that I just talked about do you know how many of these business owners told me the same thing every time? Well, they, we had a, a creative brainstorm session. They came up with a bunch of ideas on, on the ads that we needed to create and run for our company. Though Some of those ads, most of them did not work. Some of them did okay. And I go, but what did they base the decision to come up with creative mess, creative ideas and messaging on? And they all said the same thing. I don't know which means that the marketing firm sat around a table and had a brainstorm session, which mean is total bullshit. Like what did the customer think? So that's why when we created our, our agency, we just said, I said, these two things are non-negotiable. You have to, understand the customer base to work with us. You have to, you know, you you get a month-to-month contract in return, but you have to invest in the customer or the client. We do a lot of B2B too. And we use the data to train sales teams on how to talk to the client. Um, we do, you know, a lot of B2C and e-com because that reminds us a lot of voters, right? And so, like I'll give you an example. And then this is a really fun topic. So if I'm, if I'm going on, if you want me to slow down for a second, I can, but I've got to yeah, go, go, ahead, go okay. ahead. So the great example is this. We were working with uh, a supplement and food company. They are an eight-figure business. Uh, they were not. Ha- they wanted to grow into a nine figure business. Um, and so they came to us and said, hey, how do we do that? And I said, first, we need to take your customer base. We need to overlay it online and we need to track what their customers are doing for the next 30 days, because it's not about what the customers say. It's about what they do. right?" And by the way, I learned this in politics. A lot of people say, oh, I hate Donald Trump. And then quietly they go vote for him. Like That's one of the reasons he got elected, right? Was that people were afraid to, to to tell people what they thought. And so I understand how people often say what they don't mean. So first of all, I like to track what people do because what they're doing online is what they really want. So what we do is we track a customer base. So he gave us his customer file. We tracked his customers online. It was like a hundred and something thousand customers, and what we found in there was that the majority of his customers were vegan and vegetarian. That made sense because it's a health food company. And then the second thing was uh, that they all hated soda. Now both of those things seem obvious, but how would you know unless? You got data back that told you these things. By the way, I also found out what the, his customer debates, what they think the platforms that are on in chronological order of how much time they're spending time on those particular platforms. By the way, if he's uh, he, he was advertising on one particular platform, it was not the top indexing platform. So we, we, try, we moved him to where his customers were rather than him guessing what platforms he should be on. So we just went all in on this. So we found out in the data that they hated soda, right? So what we ended up doing was that, I mean, again, that seems obvious, but I like, you know, in political marketing, we pick a lot of fights, right? People hate negative ads, I get it. But what we do, what I do in the principles of corporate marketing is I bring comparative advertising into my client's business because it's really important. Here's why. There are so many ads being thrown at so many people right now, and there's so much going on that people don't give a shit about the ads you put in front of them unless there is a deeper connection made. Comparative ads take something that in politics you may think of as negative and we do it positive. So in this particular case, the company, the, the, the supplement and food company found out that soda was a trigger point for their customers. Their customers hated soda. So what we did was we ran A-B testing on everything we found in the data. Uh, from all the positive to this one negative concept. Out of the 10 ads we tested, the number two ad was the vegan vegetarian ad. Of course, that makes sense. Like that's what their customer base was, right? It, it made sense to me, the majority, it was like 60, 70% of the customer base was vegan vegetarian. So that one crushed. That was not number one. The number one ad was the anti-soda ad that we ran. And here's the crazy part about it. The anti-soda ad had... two times as many click-throughs as the top indexing positive ad we ran on Vegan Vegetarian, two times as many click-throughs as the top positive ad. It had a 20% higher conversion rate and all at less impressions. Now, I think impressions are kind of BS, but the fact is is that less people saw the ad, two times as many people clicked on the ad than did the top-performing positive ad. And 20% converted as customers, higher 20% higher conversion rate than the top performing positive ad, the vegan vegetarian ad. All And I inherently understand this because in politics, everything we do goes back to how we make connections. It's all about the politician connecting with the voter. It's all I know. So, by the way, this guy's customer base, name one person in the customer base that's offended that we did an anti-soda ad. Hmm. <laughs> Nobody. So politics, yeah, in politics, we offend half the audience. But in in corporate marketing, you've got to do comparative ads that offend no one, but endear your customers to you. And that's the whole point of why we did it.
0: Comparative ads that offend no one.
1: Wow. And by the way, let me tell you this every client we have now does them because I won't, again, you have to under, you have to undertake a data report. That's, that's a a thing you have to do if you work with me, because if I care more about your success than you do as a business owner, I won't work with you. It's a waste of time for me. Two, everyone now is doing comparative ads and they are crushing. Number one, across the board, every AB test we run, number one, every single time. It is insane and nobody's doing it. So I went, great. I'm the data guy. I'm the, you know, month to month contract and eliminate all the risk. And I'm the comparative ad guy. Like that's what I am gonna do because it works every time from the clients that we work with.
0: So a ton, a ton of my listeners are podcasters. Now, Mark Metry <laughs> yeah. is a mutual friend of of ours. Love that. Love I know that him guy. very yeah, he's been on my show twice. I've seen you on his show. Yeah, yeah. Great. he's he's yeah. great. Should I run some ads against Mark Metry and say, this guy's podcast sucks. Never listen to it. No,
1: that wouldn't be how I do it at all. Yeah. Uh, Because you'd be offending your audience and probably his that maybe you're trying to win over some listeners. The way to do it is to take your customer base or your, you know, you can build a lookalike and your ideal listener base right? We talked about this beforehand, like I wanted to serve your listener base, right? What is your ideal listener base? Either you have a list or you don't. If you have a list, then I can overlay it and track everything they do for the next 30, 45 days, whatever. People come to your website, put a pixel on your website, then I can track them, every every movement they make. Then I can come back to you and I can say, this is what your customer base, your listener base thinks. This is what they like. People listening right now go, that that may, they may be saying like, that's creepy as shit. I'm looking at it from a completely ethical standpoint. I'm saying, let's build a, like the way the world should work right now is we should all build better connections. We are so divided on everything. Everybody's woke mm-hmm. about everything. Everybody's mad about everything. I'm trying yeah. to do the complete opposite. And in a way, I'm doing it to reverse engineer something that is negative. So if I found in your customer base or your listener base that, I wouldn't even play the podcast anti podcast game. I'd find out the things they don't like. You know, maybe they don't like Gary V. Maybe they go that guy's old I don't want to listen to him. You're the guy, right? Then you would run ads that say there's a bunch of old guys in this space. I'm not. I'm the new fresh face. Like you would find a way that your customer is to go, "Yeah, I'm with that. I like that." I don't know what it would be. You would have to figure that out and really you'd have to figure out from what the data told you.
0: So here's what's interesting. You mentioned about Gary V. There was one video I had that I posted, and it was about how like Gary V. talks about documenting, document, 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 and take these videos all these all the time, every day, all day, every day. And I was like, you know what? I kind of disagree with that. It was a minute video, and it was at the time where thirty thousand views for me was like, oh my god! And I got thirty-seven or thirty thousand views. Organically, because uh, I, I was I was disagreeing with him. Is that is that uh, maybe an adjacent way to do this, or what do you does that relate at all?
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, you could. But how would you know that other than that's an instinct and in you, that you feel like you're allowed to do that? You're a business owner. Go with your instincts. You have every right to do that. I would tell you before you jump out in your instincts, why don't you figure out what your customer base wants and deliver what they want to them. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you another example. We're doing this currently, but we work for a a major, major, major clothing brand. They produce unbelievable clothes, unbelievable quality clothes. Um, And we're running an ad right now that says, why would you buy your clothes from a shoe company? Because the data told us that their customer base wants a higher level of clothes. like like they they want shirts and pants and things that are high quality so we just decided let's just go after all the sporting industry the mass produced sporting industry because they're the ones putting out the cheap crap and so Their customer base is not offended by that. They want higher quality. Now we pick the fight with something they don't like. So they go, yeah, I don't like like those big... Why is a shoe company... uh, Why am I buying clothes from a shoe company? Like that's what we're trying to do. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, absolutely. So comparative advertising is something that translates from political marketing to business marketing. Is there... What other strategies... Of political marketing carry over. Are there any really effective ones that guarantee success?
1: Yeah, it's just the way we use messaging and creative more than anything else. Um, because you know, I write about this book, but there's this sort of stereotype that political ads are more unsophisticated than corporate marketing ads, right? And and I think it, they get the whole point wrong. Um, the point is is that we know how to drive deep, deep, meaningful uh, content that gets people to make decisions. Look, I live in a win or die world in politics. If I lose more than I win, I'm out of business. Every competitor in my space, the other political marketers, they know everybody I work for. How? Because there is a public database called the Federal Election Commission or every state, if you work for a governor or anybody like that, they all have public databases that tell you how the politicians spending their money. So everybody I work for, every politician I work for, There is a database out there that says I am on the dole for those people. If I lose that race, my competitor already knows. So the next time I go pitch, what do you think my competitor is going to do when we're pitching the same candidate to try to win the business? They're going to cut my legs out from under me. They're going to they're going to say this guy loses. He's terrible. Let me show you all the races he's lost. That's what happens. I've never seen anything like the cutthroat industry of political marketing. I write about this in the book, Jordan. It's really interesting. There is literally one out of a million corporate marketers come into the political marketing space and become successful. One out of a million. Now, political marketers can go right over to corporate and be successful instantaneously. But corporate marketers have no clue how to dive deep into a voter's psychology and get them to vote for a particular candidate that may be suspect or nefarious or people just don't like in general. How does that happen? Well, we're obsessed with data, testing, creative, and messaging. And once we put all those together, it's an undefeated marketing formula that if businesses did it, they would win every time. In fact, every single client that follows our formula has grown their bottom line. Everyone, every undefeated. single one
0: undefeated. That is excellent. And then you market to emotion. That's another universal thing. What's an example of you marketing to emotion?
1: (laughs) I mean, we market to emotion every day. You know, I mean, market to emotion is like, what this is everything I just talked about, right? Um, We find out what these voters care about. And then that's finding the the emotional hook that gets them to go, I want to support that candidate or I want to support that product or service. On the corporate side, it is about building loyalty. See, I'm of the opinion that you have to build a true emotional connection with your customer base and then utilize them to be your greatest marketers. Because we're in it, it look, uh, everybody in the world saying your phone's in front of your face 24 hours. So digital advertising, digital advertising. Well, what if the data said something completely different? The One of our clients has a very young uh, customer base, right? Uh, in fact, the data told us that seventy-five percent of their customer base is under thirty-five, but twenty percent is over forty-five. They have never marketed twenty percent of their, their customer base. They've never marketed to. The data told us that the forty-five and older customer base wants to receive direct mail marketing, like the postcards, yeah, with offers. That's what the data told us. These people, that's how they want to receive their marketing material. not And by the way, so I always do this. You drop a mail piece and you overlay it. it What's called a digital chase program. So you, you drop a mail piece. Let's say you mail 5,000 people. Only those 5,000 people, I can overlay them and run ads just on them. Nobody else. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So I get a double hit, which has a 20% higher conversion rate when you double up a traditional uh, marketing piece. So I'm trying to figure out where they want to receive the message. I'm trying to find an emotional connection through what the data tells us. And when we do that, we ha- we eliminate the risk of the business owner and help them grow.
0: Are you using text message marketing? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, that seems – that's the new thing with – I mean – Cause Gary V who show you're on you're talking about it. Gary V was talking about in another video, like, you know, what has a hundred percent open rate. Yeah. Text messages. It does. Yeah. So yeah. what are some platforms that you would recommend? Cause I think, you know, obviously everyone knows the, 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 you know, for email marketing, you know, you use uh MailChimp, keep, you know, in, slash infusion use that kind of stuff. Everyone knows those companies, but with text, I, I, I tell you, Philip, it's hard for me to name too many. <laughs> what do you What do you guys use?
1: Uh, they're called Phone to Action. Uh, they're a startup. Uh, Steve Wozniak, who helped start Apple, is uh, one of the founding uh, investors. They're They're amazing. I know the founders. We've worked with them since 2014, so it may be new to a lot of people out there, but we, we've been doing it for a long time because we do it both on the voter side to connect with voters and fundraise for, with with uh, you know donors on on uh, in political campaigns but then we do it in in our corporate marketing too especially like the mail pieces if you get a mail piece text us, then we can track where that particular conversion came from. You can also see it in traditional sense in billboards. We've seen it over and over again. And then the other part is video. If you're in a video and you say, hey, text 88777 now and I'll give you 10% off. Boom, that's where it comes from. But that's, you can literally have a different text code for each one of these particular tactics. And when you do that, then you can track which one's working and which one's not. I'll Ooh. I'll tell you the craziest one ever right now that that's going on and we're doing this uh, for a billion dollar company right now. <laughs> this one's the best. Like this is going to blow everybody's mind. You got to have money to do it, so but it's fun. I'm going to tell you about it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I've never talked about it. I talk about it when I pitch clients. I've never ever ever talked about this before.
0: This is so, exactly what we want.
1: So the platform uh, right now uh, the connected K like Hulu and all the devices that you can watch Hulu, Netflix, everything like that. Right. They will, they're giving us all the data like these, uh, even, uh, even TV television companies, the people that make TVs are giving because they have a, a, you know, you can get the connection on, you can track everybody and what they're doing when they're on connected TV, they will give us the data. So if let's just say, you are a company and your competitor starts running ads on the NBC nightly news uh, and your particular customer base is on Hulu and they're watching the NBC nightly news. And you find out that that ad ran. I can then re- grab those people that watched the NBC nightly news on Hulu in their front of their TV. Like I now we have that data of who watched it and I can then get their IP addresses. And then I can run digital ads back to them either savaging that company or uh, I can do it to promote our company products and services or whatever. But I can directly take the data off connected TV and then use it in a digital marketplace now.
0: Wow, that's intriguing. So I want to come back to the comparative negative ads. Mm. And you mentioned how you should always respond to a negative ad if you are the the target of a negative ad, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I saw this is not Sarah Blakely's quote, but she posted a picture of it, of this quote on LinkedIn. It said, "Weak." Weak people revenge, strong people forgive, intelligent people ignore, and <laughs> fill up with with, yeah, so I'm going to let you respond to that in a second, Philip. With, with some of the stuff that I post online, I'm very intentional with drawing my line in the sand. I'm, you know, James Altucher with videos that we had. I don't know if you saw. I'm like, look, formal education is a huge scam. And I got so much love, but I also got so much yeah. hate. Like, we got so good. much hate that, last week. That's that's good right. for you. Like, that is it, good for you. Uh, I've been getting a lot of hate the past six, seven months. Good. And uh, I started. I used to I used to I've, we've seen an evolution in the way I respond. I used to fire back and say something smart like and and just get too emotionally invested in it and it was not healthy for my head. Yeah. But then I started yeah, then I started saying thanks for your feedback. And now I say
1: nada. Mm. What do you think about that?
0: Well how would you respond to how would you respond to any hate online like even in a comments thread?
1: Well the, the, the hate part is different than someone attacking your mm. business product or service. So the hate I would agree um, I literally have uh, I don't have fun with it, I don't play around with it. Why would I give a minute of my time when I could be growing and getting better in my business to some idiot? That literally doesn't matter. Like, if they don't like what I do, then fuck them. I don't yeah. like, uh, uh, and I'm talking about when I'm, you know, I give speeches and and I go on, you know, when I went on Gary Vee, and there'll be people that you know will say nasty things because that come from politics. Well, they're entitled to that opinion. I don't give a damn. Um, and the last thing I need to do is like care. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> now, if people constructively uh, address me on on socials and say, I am I have a quick question. Why would you do this? How would you do that? I'll engage. I just don't engage in that. Now, if, you know, I always say, if you get a bad Yelp review, right? If you're a company and you get a bad Yelp review, you better damn well to address it because Uh, The one thing we see in data all over the place is how important. When I talk about this, you you got to make connections with your audience. Third party reviews are massive. Like if I could give you one tactic, you don't have to spend any money on, you don't do anything. Put all your energy into getting five star reviews and better reviews because it's not that you're trying to game the system. Although in a way, I guess you are. But the problem, the question, the the situation is this: every customer base right now. Is going and checking out reviews before they buy product or service. Every single one of them, every one. So why wouldn't you put all your energy into that? You know why? Because people want third-party validation. Uh, here's a great one: if a third, like if if someone introduces me to someone that's semi-famous and says, oh, Philip's amazing. He comes from this world of politics. He's got this unique perspective. You should talk to him. That person will talk to me 100% of the time. If I cold email that particular person and say, hey, I come from this unique world of politics. You know, you should check me out. It's maybe 5% of the time that they would respond. And even then it's like, okay, thanks. And that's all you get. So everything is third-party validation now. Everything. So So it's proof. yeah, it's social proof a hundred percent. So that is where I'd put the energy into responding to people that go negative is that th- that partic- where, where it affect a fucking tweet doesn't do anything to your bottom line. in fact it probably helps grow your brand because now you're controversial people want to know you more. Yeah. but a negative review that'll fuck you up so you better address it and that's how I say it. and I know this because in politics, Every client, every candidate I have has something that happens, some kind of controversy, and we have to address these things. If we let them go, then the voters will supplant in their head that this particular candidate has done this, this, and this, and that'll hurt us on election day.
0: You know, when I, I always think about, uh, when we were talking about those negative comments that, that I would respond to, and I'd be like, I'd fire, I used to, when I used to fire back, I always think of when I run, you know, I, I imagine that what what made me start changing things was if I run for president one day and you compiled all my smart aleck responses in like a couple of screenshots, I feel like that would be a very bad thing. But I I
1: don't nah. know, now, yeah, I
0: don't I, know I, that it would be.
1: Yeah, I would tell you that this is the same conversation I had in my head when I was about twenty one years old about doing drugs. I never did drugs because I said if I ever get into politics. I do not, I would never, I want to be able to say I never did drugs. Does that matter anymore? The fact is, is like, I wouldn't apologize for your tweets. Like, okay, so I said some stupid shit, get over it. Like it doesn't affect your life. The mob is going to attack everybody and anybody. But here's the great thing about the mob. They move on in three seconds because they don't give a shit to begin with. So don't address the mob and don't apologize for what you've done. And you're allowed to make mistakes when you're younger or say stupid stuff when you're younger. Um, that's just the bottom line. Like, I I, I, live, I grew up in an age where I thought drug, not doing drugs mattered. No one gives a shit. Barack Obama yeah. said he did cocaine. Like, no who way. cares? <laughs> well, yeah, he wrote it wow. in his book. He wrote it. So, like, who mm. cares? Like, if as long as you're vulnerable and you do a good job of this, but as long as you're vulnerable and you say, hey, I made mistakes, like, I'm not perfect. Then everybody deep down is like, yeah, you're good. Don't worry about it.
0: I agree. Love that. By the way with the reviews too, I feel like for me that's one of the places I'm winning. Like okay, there's so many podcasts out there. Why listen to yours, Jordan? You look at mine and I'm sitting here at 212 ratings and 3 of them aren't 5 stars. And so it provides so much credibility especially when the average podcast has like 3 ratings. Yeah. So
1: Hey, do you <laughs> I'm want me to, go, ne- do you want me to go negative on those 3? I can do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> just kidding.
1: Just kidding. I, dude,
0: what's crazy is that there's no review attached to those ones in iTunes. And so I can't even figure. Like, right. I wonder. Like, they, they, they probably just looked up my podcast or looked up – we're looking for another podcast. Mine came up like, oh, this is not the one I'm looking for. One start.
1: You know, I ended a, I had one negative review of my book. Uh, on Amazon and the person said, uh, this month to month contract thing is a farce. You can't be a marketing agency and sustain that. This is BS. I loved it. I yeah. loved it because he proved my point. He doesn't get results. Yeah, I didn't have to prove yeah. anything. He just gets to make yeah. the money and, and trick people. I just think it's unethical. I think it's unethical if you don't do month to month contracts as a marketer. I think it's unethical if you don't use data before you run ads.
0: Right. So the final thing I want to talk about today is with in people have people don't even know this yet. Didn't mention it in the intro. We didn't mention it at all. You have this disease. Yeah. Esophageal disease. Yeah. Tell us tell us about that and how that's affecting you.
1: Yeah, I know. I was, uh, about eight years ago, diagnosed with a rare uh, esophageal disease called echolasia. It's uh, incurable. Um, basically, the muscles and the nerves in my esophagus that push food down have died. Uh, they'll never work again. I've had 15 minor procedures on my esophagus. I've had three major surgeries. And um, I, there, were, there was a five-year period after I was diagnosed where I was so paralyzed by the diagnosis and what could come of it that i didn't even google the disease i did nothing about it um, i ate the same foods i always wanted to eat that probably caused the disease i consumed you know the doctors told me there's nothing i could do that my esophagus was going to be removed and i was going to be on a feeding tube within 10 years and and basically he said, keep taking the medicine. The medicine has long-term dementia effects, but it works in the short run. And he said, we'll see you in six months. And I remember this was three years ago this month. And I just said, I don't know if that works for me. And the doctor laughed. This is a doctor at the Mayo Clinic, by the way. And and I don't, I'm not, I don't disparage him. Like he, he, he's doing the best he can, but he basically laughed at me and said, there is no cure. See you in six months, take your medicine. And I just said, I got to figure this out. And you know, most people don't make change until the pain is too much for them to take anymore too is intolerable and that and i understand that because the pain became that and that moment was unbelievably into, intolerable for me so i just vowed i'd get my diet in order from that day forward and I needed to figure out this disease. Well, a few months later, I wrote an article in Inc. about how I plan to find a cure to this disease in five years. There is no cure and it's a rare disease that affects one out of a hundred thousand people. And so when there's, a, there's no money or research dollars behind that, right? So like it, the, the ignorance of an entrepreneur is a beautiful thing because it was so stupid to do this. But I wrote an article in Inc. calling, that, calling for my cure in five years. Uh, people, uh, in the research of this disease actually found it. Uh, they linked me with a doctor at Johns Hopkins university. We spent two and a half years working on trying to figure out a cure. Uh, it led to the fact that we, uh, started in April, a one man clinical trial. The first one in the history of this disease, uh, never been done on animals, never been done anywhere. Uh, where they were going to extract stem cells out of my thigh muscle, g- grow the stem cells for six months, and then inject them into my esophagus to hopefully regrow or the muscles and reattach all the nerves and the muscles that ha- uh, have been detached and um, and don't work. Uh, it's again, it, it the the downside is that uh, it could be a massive failure. I could get a tumor. They would remove my esophagus, and I would be on a feeding tube immediately the rest of my life. The, the upside is maybe there's relief and there's a cure in there. We started in April after like, like we had FDA approval, hospital approval. It's been gone. It took two years to get this done all because I wrote an article, by the way, and, and declared I was going to find this cure. And we started in April and in April we did the biopsy. They extracted, I mean, the only way to describe it, I wrote about it on Medium, but they basically took a corkscrew, like a wine corkscrew and and drilled without any anesthesia, drilled into my thigh, extracted all the stem cells out and they're gonna grow them for six months. And then this fall, uh, I'd start the injections into my esophagus. I got a call in July. There had been a contamination in the stem cell lab and the the, uh, clinical or this trial is over. And we will restart now in September and start all over again. Here's the thing. I'm good with that. I'm really okay. cool. The universe is talking to me. It says it ain't your time yet. You you're, you're need to keep trying. You, you need to go do it again. You're going to learn something from this. This is not anything you need to worry about. That's how I see it. And so, you know, I, whether it's that or whether it's anything in my life, uh, the disease is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. If I'm to lose my esophagus tomorrow, I'd say the same thing because the fact is is that it focused me like I'd never focused in my life. It focused me, more importantly, on the way I treat people, my family relationships with my child and my wife. It inc- It made my business partnerships a million times better. It made me selfless. It made, uh, it it is the reason we've had massive growth in all of our companies um, because I'm doing things for the right reason. And I didn't always lead that way. I I, I probably, I didn't probably, I was a selfish um, person that blamed other people and just, uh, it held me back probably 10 years of being held back. And so um, that's sort of the nuts and bolts of the disease. I'm still working on this clinical trial. We'll restart in the fall of uh, 2019. And we'll see what happens,
0: Philip. That is excellent. The what you're taking from that, and all the results that you've seen because of that. And I'll tell you, I you know, of course, not on my esophagus, but I had stem cells injected into my shoulder right right here, right? I had a torn How'd, labrum. How did, how did, what happened? So right. So for about a year, this thing was dead. I couldn't do anything. It was so painful. Like literally, like the the cells in there and the tissue was just dead and and just a disaster and I went to I went to physical therapy and nah uh, I re, and I reinjured it after physical therapy and it was, just wasn't working and then and this is right before I'm going into college and I got the stem cells poolside because my father is a general surgeon he injects actually stem cells for a living now and he into shoulders and knees along with hyaluronic acid and we put the stem cells in and 3 months later actually 2 months later I am lifting Human beings up over my head as a male cheerleader, <laughs> awesome. and I did that. I did that for two years, holding people over my head, right. which requires incredible strength, but also stability. Yeah, uh, which is what the labrum specifically deals with—shoulder uh, stability. And I, I've never had pain. I, like, I thought for the rest of my life this thing is done. I couldn't throw. And Now I can I can do everything. That's so I've awesome. had a me- incredible results with stem cells, and I pray you do the same. Oh, thanks,
1: man. Keep me updated yeah. on that, and, and uh, that's awesome. Glad it worked for you.
0: Absolutely. I know we got to finish up right now, but PhilipStutz.com and fire them now. All the things that we've learned today. Like if you want to hear more about this, and and like I've never had a guest like Philip on the show before. <laughs> Is that just good or so- bad? Good. This is so unique and, and especially with you working in political marketing. Yeah. And I strongly believe and endorse your marketing strategies and I need people to learn more about this and it's not something I can teach. It's only something you can teach. So check out the book, fire them now on Amazon and tell us about your consultation again that you're giving away.
1: Yeah. It's the five minute, uh, free marketing audit. Um, go on, fill it out, literally five minutes and, um, you can then, uh, Uh, My team will take two or three business days, pour over your digital footprint. We'll put a 25-point checklist together on things you're doing right and the things you can improve. And we'll do a 30-minute free consultation to answer any questions and go over anything. And um, look, if people, this is all free. If you go after that, man, that guy gave me value. I want to work. I trust him. I want to work with him. That's awesome. If you want to just take it and run with it, you do that too. So that's the offer.
0: And what's the link for that?
1: philipstutz.com audit. It's also on my company page, winbigmedia.com.
0: Excellent. Philip Stutz, you are the man. Thank you very much.
1: I sure appreciate you, man.
0: there you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Growth Mindset University, the podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, all I ask is that you share it out to your friends, family, etc. on your Instagram story and tag me and our guest today. And don't forget to message our guest as well so that you build your network as you listen and learn with this podcast. And if you really believe that hearing the message of growth is important to the world and you want to help others find our show and you're not satisfied with just taking a screenshot and sharing this on your Instagram story, well, I've got good news for you. You can go the extra mile in helping spread this message of growth. You can leave us an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We have over 200 ratings right now and it has made a gigantic difference for this show not only helping people find the show but getting awesome guests thank you all so very much and until next time my friends make every day count live to learn and grow to give